Luke 8. New chapter. It's a big chunk that we're going to look at today, so I'm going to move pretty fast. There's one theme that runs through this whole section, so I couldn't figure out a good way of dividing it up. So we'll just do the whole thing. And the idea is listening well. Jesus says towards the end of our passage, consider carefully how you listen or consider carefully how you hear. And so that's the theme for us today. We want to consider carefully how we're hearing what he says to us. There's a little breakdown, I think, on the screen of how the passage breaks down. Lots of pieces, but again, the theme that runs through all of them is this idea of listening well or hearing what he is saying. So uh, I'll read the whole thing at once, and then we'll go back and look at it a piece at a time. Chapter 8, verse 1. After this, so Jesus is leaving Nain. If you remember last week, we said in Nain he raised a boy from the dead. He talked some about John the Baptist. And the last thing we saw was he was invited to a banquet at a Pharisee's house, and then a prostitute comes in and anoints his feet. So after all of those things, Jesus travels about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the rule or reign of God. Don't think of territory. Think more dynamically of every place that God rules or that God reigns. That's where his king. The good news is that through Jesus, this, his kingdom is coming. Through the person and ministry of Jesus, his kingdom is coming, is available to us. Thanks. Is available to us um, right now. So that was the good news, and Jesus is going around proclaiming that. And that idea of proclaiming, again, then speaks to us. If Jesus is proclaiming, our response is, how do we listen? How do we hear well? So verse 2. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When Jesus said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. There's that theme. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others, I speak in parables so that those seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be made known or brought into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken away from them. Now, Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone said, your mother and brothers are standing outside waiting to talk to you. He said, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word 
and put it into practice. So again, idea, what does it look like to hear well? Right off the bat, we see examples, three women who are good soil. That's the picture. These three women are good soil. They're examples of what it means to hear well. And last thing we read, they're examples of people who hear Jesus' word and then put it into practice. Highly, highly, highly unusual for women to be associated with a traveling teacher like Jesus. The assumption would have been there was some sexual relationship there. There wasn't, but highly unusual for any traveling teacher, rabbi, however you want to classify Jesus, to have women in his entourage. And he had more than three. It said he had many. For Jesus, gender didn't matter. That wasn't a distinguishing mark for him. For Jesus, it didn't matter. People's social status didn't matter. What he was looking for was receptivity. He was looking for good soil. And these women are a picture. They're people who've received from him. They were demonized. They were sick. They received healing and deliverance. And then they reorient their life around following Jesus to the point that they're supporting him. Jesus doesn't have a job. He doesn't make any money. These ladies are the ones who are putting food on the table out of their own bank accounts. They're providing for Jesus and the 12, if not a broader group of people. So right off the bat, Luke wants us to see, here's an example of what I'm talking about. We're talking about hearing well. Here's three women who have done that. Then he tells the parable. A parable is a story from real life. It's not a true story, but it's a story from real life with that has one primary spiritual meaning. The meaning of this parable is the condition of the soil determines the fruitfulness of the crop. The condition of the soil determines the fruitfulness of the crop. And then Jesus explains it. The seed is the word of God. The soil is our hearts. So the condition of our hearts determine the effectiveness of the word of God in our life. The condition of my heart determines the effectiveness of the word of God in my life. The condition of your heart determines the effectiveness of the word of God in your life. The seed is the same in every instance. The only variable is the soil. It's the same seed. It's the same climate. The only variable when it comes to fruitfulness is the condition of the soil, the condition of our heart. So Jesus says, after he tells this parable, listen, whoever has ears to hear, listen to what I'm saying. The disciples want to know what it means. And for us, we want to say, well, what, is it, what does that look like? Whoever has ears to hear, we know, reading through the gospel, people who have ears to hear are people who recognize their need for Jesus. Again, that's the distinguishing uh, characteristic for him. Gender doesn't matter. We saw here at the end, family relationship, blood, that doesn't matter. What he's looking for, who's willing to hear my word and put it into practice. If you think you're okay, then you're not receptive to what I'm talking about. To you, the kingdom of God is going to remain a mystery. If you like that idea of mystery better than secret, if secret to you sounds like something God is keeping from you, then don't use that word. That's not the, uh, the heart behind it. Think mystery. This is something to be, to be revealed, something that we step into. And if you want to know, then you can know. He says the secrets have been revealed to y'all because you're humble. You recognize your need for what I'm bringing, and so God is revealing truth. To you. Now, to others who are not receptive, these parables, they, they, they don't get them. They see, but they don't understand. They listen, but they don't really understand. They hear, but they don't really understand. The full quote in Isaiah, that's where Jesus is quoting from when he talks about parables, actually says that the people's hearts have become calloused. The people's hearts have become hard. They're not, they're, they're, it's, the, it's the path. 
It's hard soil. And so I think what Jesus is doing, this is my theory, you don't have to agree. I think he's using parables because he's trying to figure out how to circumvent people's defenses. I don't know if you've ever talked to someone who's hostile to the gospel, not just not interested, but actively hostile towards the gospel. And you may go up to that person and say, you know what, you're a sinner, and if you, unless you repent and put your faith and trust in Jesus, if you die tonight, you're going to go to hell. Like, you may say that, and they'll probably re- return that to you in some way, is what they'll say back to you. It's, it's not effective. You'll be right, but you won't help. If the goal is to be right, score one for you. If the goal is to help people move towards Jesus, you haven't done anything. And I'm wondering if these parables, this is my theory, is Jesus uses these parables to kind of sneak truth in through the back door. There's not a willingness here to hear kind of a straightforward presentation of the gospel. There's too much resistance for whatever reason. So Jesus tells parables, and they kind of like a time bomb. They get in people's heads, and as they think about them, the truth becomes more and more apparent. You'll see that as we look at parables throughout Luke. Oftentimes, it's not till the very end that people are going, oh, okay, I get it now. I get who you're talking to. Whether that's positive, whether I'm a positive or negative person in this story, I get it at the end. And that's kind of how parables work, I think, in Jesus' ministry. For us, we don't necessarily go around telling parables, but we may tell stories. And that may be the way that we kind of embed truth in something that's more palatable for someone who's resistant. So to the hard-hearted, to this hard ground, These parables don't make any sense. But Jesus says all of this truth is meant to be revealed. Again, if you don't like the idea of secret, these mysteries, they're all going to be disclosed. You guys who have listened well, the thinking is your good soil and your lives are going to produce this abundant crop. He doesn't say exactly what the crop is. I'm thinking it's character being conformed into the image of Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit, and it's our behavior, doing the good works that God has put uh, created in advance for us to do. As we put his word into practice, we're going to see character and behavior changes. All of that is out here in public. You don't put light under a bed. You don't put a jar over it. It's out here on a stand so everyone who sees it can enjoy the light. That's us. All of this stuff is meant to be revealed. And so we need to be careful, he's speaking collectively, how you hear. If you're crowded soil, if you're thorny soil, you're not producing a crop. That's not good. So the little that you think you have, the little truth that you have heard, you're going to lose it because you're not incorporating it into your life. It's not enough to know it intellectually. If you're not actually living it, then it gets taken away from you. Again, these women are the best example. People who've received ministry from Jesus, received truth from him, then reoriented their life around following him. So that's what's going on in this passage. Again, key idea, what does it look like? to listen well? What does it look like to hear what Jesus is saying? The idea for us, the condition of our heart is the determining factor. The message is the same. That's the seed. It's the same. The climate is the same. The only difference is the condition of our heart. And so you have four choices that I'm going to make you pick. You're one of these four things. You're hard. You're resistant to the gospel. You're rocky. That's shallow. That's a hard one. You're thorny, or if you like weeds instead, and Matthew talks about weeds either way, thorns or weeds, your heart's crowded, or good, good soil, which is fruitful. You're one of those four things. You're hard, you're rocky, you're thorny, or you're good. You're resistant, you're shallow, you're crowded, or you're fruitful.
those four things. We'll start and we'll just walk through each one of the four, spending most of our time on the third. Resistant. Honestly, I would say if you're here this morning, unless you were drugged here by somebody, most likely you're not hard. Most likely you're not completely calloused over. You're not completely resistant and hostile to the message of the gospel. You may be, but I doubt that's the case because you're here. So there's at least a sliver. There's a crack in the door that says there may be something here from me, and that's wonderful. If the door's completely closed, again, I doubt that you would be here. But I do think there may be our people who've said yes to Jesus. But there's a portion of your life where your heart is hard. Maybe you feel like I'm good 75%, 90%. But here's this one area, my finances, my future, this one relationship, this one behavior. That for whatever reason, you're choosing to ignore and resist what God is saying to you. That's a very dangerous place to be. Your heart, you can't. You can't separate. There are no partitions in your heart. It's, it's whole. And so if you're callous in one part, that callousness tends to grow. You can't separate this one area of your life and say, I'm going to keep this cut off from the grace of God, or I'm going to keep this off from the instruction or the rebuke or the leading of God, but I'm going to be okay in all of these other areas. It doesn't work that way. God won't let you live with that divided heart, and he won't handle being the Lord of some aspect of your life, but not the rest. And so if that's you this morning, I just want to ask you a question. Why? Why are you resistant, particularly in one area? If you've been willing to trust God in all of these other areas of your life, why do you find it difficult to trust him in this one other area? And I would encourage you to to work through that. Is it pride? This is an area where I don't need God. I know better than him. I can do this on my own. Is it pain? It's You've been disappointed. I don't know. Maybe something else. Do you want to figure out why in this one area of your life you're choosing to resist the leading of the Spirit? Hosea 6.3, it's a great little verse. I told the guys at 9, it'll take you longer to find it than to read it. But when you get there, this is what it says. God will come to you like the rain, like the winter rains and the spring rains watering the earth. That's what you want. If your heart is hard, Good news, your heart can change, and God wants to do that. And so the prayer for you is, God, I recognize in this area of my life, or totally, if that's you, but I recognize in this area of my life, I'm resistant towards you. My heart is hard towards you. I don't want to hear what you have to say. Ultimately, I do, but right, I, for whatever reason right now, I'm not willing. And so I'm asking you to soften my heart. This idea of your grace of you coming to me like rain, that's what I need. I want the hard ground of my heart to be softened by the rain of your grace, the rain of your spirit. Now, the other option is you don't pray that, and God comes after you with a plow, and he breaks up the hard ground. Those are the two choices. He's either going to soften your heart with rain, or he's going to break it up with a plow. One of those is pleasant, one of those is not. And so my encouragement to you is to acknowledge this morning the areas where you're resisting and just bring those under his grace. Even if at this point you're, you, you can't change, I'm not asking you to change. I'm asking you to open yourself up to his grace in that area and say, soften my heart. You've got to soften my heart towards her or soften my heart towards him because I don't have any, I've got no intention of loving them right now. I'm not forgiving them. So you're going to have to soften my heart if that's going to happen. Or whatever the situation happens to be. Second, you've got this soil that's, that's a shallow. 
it's rocky, and so the roots of the plant don't, don't go deep. To me, this is drought conditions. And then the sun comes up, it's really hot, there's no rain, and so the plant withers and dies. It falls away. So there's an initial receptivity to the word, yes, I'm saying yes, and then over time I fall away because my roots aren't deep. I lack trust. I don't have relational depth with the Lord. Now, to be honest, I don't know that this is a... Um, I don't think these are circumstances that we live in day in and day out. Most of us are never going to face persecution on any level for being a Christian. We may not have deep roots, for sure. We may not have relational depth with the Lord. But the idea that we're going to fall away because of persecution, for most of us, is very remote. That's not likely to happen. The, The catch is, or the issue is, If the gun metaphorically ever is put to your head, it's too late at that point to develop deep roots. You can't develop them in a moment. They have to be cultivated over time. So if we're going to stand firm, that's something that we have to do on the front end. We can't wait until the moment when, again, the gun metaphorically is pointed to our head. 2 Corinthians 121, God is the one who makes us stand firm. And that's where we want to get to. We want to recognize I don't stand firm because of my willpower. I don't stand firm because of my inner strength. I stand firm because God makes me stand firm. How does he do that? Over time, as I develop a relationship with him, my roots grow deep. There's nothing fancy about that. It's relational depth that's acquired and cultivated over time by spending time with him. There's no shortcuts, there's no magic formula. Just like in every relationship that you have, the ones that can make it through difficulty are the ones where you've put in the time to establish enough trust that you can make it through difficult, tough circumstances. The same thing is true vertically. It's the you put in the time now with him, abiding with him, growing in your understanding of who he is asking him to increase your capacity to understand his love for you. Over time, all of those things will deepen your roots. So if you're ever in one of these drought-type conditions, if you are ever faced with persecution, you'll be ready. Here's where I want to spend our time. Crowded soil, thorny, weedy, whatever you want to call it, this is where we live. If rocky, shallow is drought conditions, thorny, crowded, weedy, Those are conditions of abundance where all kinds of stuff can grow. It's where we live. We live in an affluent society, and that affluence affords us margin. You may not feel like you have margin, but you do. You have financial margin, and you have margin in your time to do things that you want. None of us spends every waking hour providing for our basic needs. We don't do that. We've got margin, and with that margin, we choose to do whatever, activities, Spend our, we have disposable income. All of our money is not meant, doesn't go to our expenses. And that affluence provides opportunity for weeds to grow up. And Jesus lists three, or, or thorns. Worry, the idea behind that is getting pulled in different directions. Many of you live that way. You're pulled in different directions all the time. Riches, that's an abundance of possessions. And then pleasures, those are things that you enjoy. And they, that doesn't necessarily mean sinful. It could be things that are good, but pleasures are just things that you enjoy. And what Jesus says is pleasures and an abundance of possessions and worry, getting pulled in different directions, all of those things can suffocate the work of God in your life. So again, the picture is as you're a Christian, you've said yes to Jesus. His word is planted in your heart 
And as that word tries to grow, so think about a different parable, mustard seed. It comes in small. Eventually, it becomes a mustard tree. It wants to dominate your life, be the biggest thing in your life, living under the rule and reign of God. But we've got so many other things competing for our time and our energy and our attention. We never produce fruit. Jesus says we're immature. We never actually produce fruit. These thorns choke out this good work that God wants to do. If I can switch kind of the picture, sometimes I think about this in terms of, like for us, we have four kids, and I can remember when they were younger, we would go, we would plant things in the spring. We'd have this weekend, and we would plant things in our yard, and we'd be pretty good about watering them for a couple of weeks, and then summer would hit, and we'd get busy. And then we would go back in October and look at our plants, and they were D-E-A-D, dead, dead, dead. That's what happens. We didn't do it on purpose. We just, we forgot. We got busy and we neglected watering them. It's a bit of a different picture, but I think that's the idea of this word getting choked out. It's not intentional on our part. There's just so many other things competing for time and energy and attention that the word gets suffocated in our life. It can't produce any fruit. So tell me this. What's the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning? What's the first thought that runs across your mind? Before you go to bed, what's the last thing that you're thinking about? Most likely, that's what you're worried about. Most, and it's not sin. Most of you don't think about sin as soon as you wake up. You're thinking about something else. What you have to do or some decision you have to make. It's what you're worried about. Think about possessions. How much of your time and how much of your energy goes to getting or keeping stuff? How much of your time, how much of your energy goes to getting or keeping things? Pleasures. How much of your margin, financial and time, goes to just doing the things that you want to do? That's not bad. It's just a question. Where's the room there for the word to grow and flourish in your life? I mentioned before I was in Nicaragua over spring break. I've been there a couple of times. And if I had to... My superficial observation, I would say Nicaragua is much more drought conditions than conditions of abundance. The people we talked to, I didn't hear them trying to decide um, which activities their children should be a part of. Nobody's commuting an hour plus to work. Most of them don't even have jobs. They don't have shoes. They're not worried about what sport they're playing. It's just, It's a different set of circumstances completely. They don't have, because it's not an affluent society... A lot of these thorns don't have room to grow. Now, if I had to choose, I'm going to choose affluence over poverty all day long. But I need to recognize what are the unique challenges that come to being affluent. And the first thing is acknowledging I'm affluent. And then the second thing is saying, all right, Jesus, what does it look like for me to live abundantly here in Marietta and Smyrna and Kennesaw and Cobb County? What is abundant life for us? You came that we would have life and have it fully. So what does that look like here where we live in this abundant society, in this society of abundance, in this affluent, excuse me, in this affluent society? What does it look like for me to live an abundant life? And what he's saying is these are the things that are going to choke it out. The stuff that you're worried about may be good things. Worry will choke out abundant life. Think back, those of you who are old enough, 
uh, to have some distance. Think back to when you were 20. Most likely you were broke. But I bet you didn't worry as much. I bet you didn't. You worried about whether you're going to get up on time to go to class. Think about money. Again, you, you didn't have as much. But how much time did you spend trying to get and keep? How stressed were you? How, many time, how much time did you spend on the spreadsheet every night? You look at the stock market. Were you doing that? You just wanted to make sure there was enough to put gas in the car. What about the, the pleasures thing? Much simpler. You didn't have as much to spend. Probably still enjoyed doing things, but didn't cost as much. Lower impact, maybe more with people. I don't know. And again, it's not idealizing poverty or we, none of us can go back to being 20. But there's a rec, I think there's a recognition that as we get more, there's more things that choke out. I'm responsible for more now. There's more on my shoulders, and some of that is good. But it does create worry. I've got to recognize that. How is that going to choke out abundant life in me? I have more money now than I did when I was 20. That's good. I have a bigger family. I've got to feed more people. How, does that, how, are, how is possessions and abundance of possessions going to choke out abundant life in me? Activities, and they're not just my activities now. It's activities for six. How are those things going to choke out abundant life in me? I can't give you a template, really. I can't give you a list. I can't give you a technique. Here's what I want for you. I want you to learn to live Led Galatians 5.25, if you're born of the Spirit, you are, and keep in step with the Spirit. Those of us who live by the Spirit, you do, we want to keep in step or walk in the Spirit. There's however many, 150 people here today, and you've got 150 different sets of worries. You have 150 different sets of things that you enjoy, and you have 150 different sets of financial burdens and pressures. And to think that somehow there's a one-size-fits-all answer, silly. What there is, is a who. When you become a Christian, God puts his spirit within you and says, listen to that voice. Trust him. He will lead you. And that's, that's where I want all of us to get. There's an abundant life that God wants us to live. And some of it's going to look the same from person to person to person. And some is going to look very different, the expressions of that. And the only way to walk fully into that is to say, God, lead me. I want to keep in step with your spirit. Father, I want to trust you enough to put my calendar on the table and say, how do you want me to spend my time? That's scary. How do you want me to spend my time? I know how I want to spend it. I know what I enjoy. What do you want me to do? That's scary. We're like, don't send me to some third world country. I don't want to do that. Or for some of us, it's don't make me go across the street and talk to my neighbor. Tell What do you want me to do? That's how it is for me. I don't want to go across the street. Bo's my neighbor. So what, what is it for you? Money. God, I want to trust you enough to put my checkbook in, open in front of you and say, how do you want to spend my money? Can I trust you enough that you're not going to bankrupt me? Can I trust you enough with my money to say, how do you want this to go? How do you want me to spend this without being afraid that you're going to wreck me financially? When it comes to activities, God, what do you want, what, what do you want me doing? When it comes to worry, God, these things are, these are real. This, isn't, this is real stuff. 
as I think about health of family or future decisions or what am I going to do with this company or all these things that you're worried about, those are real. God, can I put those before you and trust you enough that you can lead me in that? Even though you never ran a business, Jesus, can I trust you to lead me in that? Even though you never had a wife or children, can I trust you to lead me in that? Even though you've never lived where we've lived here in Marietta in 2015, can I trust you to lead me in those very particular things? Some are slower for most of you. This is my challenge. This is the second day of summer, I guess. Between now and August 1st, I want you intentionally look, asking the Lord, God, what does abundant life look like for me? If you're married, God, what does abundant look, look, life look like for us? If you have a family, what does abundant life look like for us? What does it look like for us to live an abundant life? And I want you to show me the weeds. That's not easy. I want you to show me the weeds. It's not going to be sin for most of you. Specifically, I want to open up my schedule, and I want to open up my money and say, God, how about my time, and how about my finances? How are, are, is anything in these areas choking out what you're wanting to do in my life? Ultimately, it gets down to trust. Do I trust him enough as a good father to give him access into those very personal areas of my life? I'm not going to pretend that that's an easy thing to do, but that's my challenge. I want you to encourage you to live led. And I think if you can do it in the summer when things are a a bit slower, you can get some momentum. You can kind of get your legs underneath you so then when the onslaught of fall comes, you'll be ready. You'll have a bit of a track record to say, you know what? This is abundant life. This is better. And then however he happens to lead you. And again, I don't want you to hear judgment from me. There's not, I don't have any preconceived notions in my mind of what it looks like for, these, for any of y'all. For the Moosoffs to do this or the Tuckers. I don't have any preconceived notions in my mind of what it means for Dan Cohn to live an abundant life. I want y'all to follow the leading of the Spirit in, those, in each of those questions. And then begin to see what your life looks like. And then we have good soil. That's what we want to be. We want to be fruitful again. We don't know exactly what this hundredfold crop looks like, but it has something to do with your character and something to do with your behavior. And I think as you become good soil, you'll see fruit in those areas. It's interesting. He says noble and good. Noble really looks vertically, loving God. Good really looks horizontally, loving people. Those are the only two commandments that matter anymore, loving God and loving people. And as we cultivate those attitudes of love in our heart, we will become good soil. I want to take some time and pray here as we wrap up. So first thing is I want you in your mind uh, just to highlight what you are. What type of soil are you? And if you're good, then I don't want you to pretend that you're not. That's not humility. That's false humility. So don't make yourself in a tougher situation than you're in. But just in your mind, I want you to give yourself a label. I know some of you hate categories. And now we'll just pray through those. And you'll have an opportunity to respond 
by coming forward and letting somebody agree with you about these things in a minute, but just in your own heart. If you're resistant, if you would say your hard ground, whether that's in total or just in one area, God, I'm resistant in this area of my life. I confess my heart is hard, it's callous. If you're willing, God, I want to repent of that. And I'm asking for the reign of your spirit, the reign of your grace to soften the hardness of my heart. I don't see how to get from A to B. I don't see how to soften my own heart, but I'm asking you to do that. I don't want the plow. I want the rain. God, my heart is shallow. Hard for me to admit, but it's true. I don't know that I've got deep roots in you. If difficulty comes, I don't know that I would stand firm. Honestly, I think I might bail. And so I'm asking you to deepen my roots in you. I don't want a stronger will. I want to love you more fully. So I'm asking that you would increase my capacity to love you and to understand your love for me. I confess it's very difficult for me to cultivate depth with you. I'm asking you to show me what's my part in that. How do I cooperate? I know you want more of me. I'm asking you to help me want more of you. Show me what that looks like. Again, what's my part in the process of cultivating depth? Is it prayer? Is it small group? Is it worship? Is it obedience? What is it, God? Show me. God, my heart, my life is full. And it's full of things that are good. You call them thorns and weeds. I'm not sure that I'm willing to call them that at this point. But if I'm honest, there's not an abundant harvest in my life. These things that are these things, they, they do tend to choke out your word and your work in me. But I don't know how to pull them out. And there's, not even, there's a part of me that doesn't want to pull them out. So I'm asking you, in my crowded, thorny, weedy heart, to come in as the master gardener. You'd show me what needs to get pulled out, what needs to get cut back, if anything needs to get added. It's scary, but I'm going to open my schedule, my calendar. I'm going to open my finances, my checkbook to you and say, show me. What's it look like? I want to live an abundant life. I don't want to live under the tyranny of worry or mammon or busyness. I want to live freely and joyfully, led by your spirit. And so as scary as it is on May 24th, I'm going to open these things up to you and pray over the course of this summer that you would lead me by your spirit. Lead us by your spirit. And that we would begin to experience the abundant life that you desire to give to us. In Jesus' name, amen. It's good. Uh, We're going to close with ministry. We'll have ministry teams here up in the front. We'll pray with you about anything at all that you have going on. 
But if any of this soil stuff hit you, we would love to pray with whatever's kind of wrestling in your heart. We'd love to agree with you about that and encourage you in that. So you guys can stand. Ministry teams, if y'all come forward and Bo will dismiss us after this song.